I'm here with my interviewee, Nate Bennett. Nate, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I have been saved for uh, 10 years now, 10 years in a few months, uh, and it's been going good so far. I went to Bible college. I'm a media pastor, but growing up, I was raised by loving parents, but they weren't religious, so we were taught to believe that science was real and that what we taught in school was fact. So when they talked about evolution, when they talked about we came from nothing, we've evolved from the same species as apes, I believed it all. You know, just why wouldn't I? Because there was nothing else to tell me. So in high school, when uh, religious people, mostly Christians, started to try to tell me about their faith and their gods, I thought they were ridiculous. I thought they were fake. I thought it was just a crutch that people sat on to get over difficulties they couldn't get over themselves. So, you know, we have a God because we're not strong enough. And I just saw them as weak. There's something different about Christians. They were true. They were love. So I started going. Uh, after about six months of going, I'll do the quick version. After about six months, one Sunday morning, I was sitting in service and just God was just beating on my heart so much, just trying to get me to accept him. And I just broke down, fell on my knees, and I've been a Christian ever since. That's awesome. Praise God. Uh, you said you went to Bible college. What degrees do you have? I have a bachelor's in church leadership and a master's in theological studies. Awesome. Interesting. All right, so we're going we're to jump right in here. It seems like there's a lot going on with our political landscape. There's just a lot of rioting and race riots and COVID. And America's been crazy. Yes, it has. So considering um, all the racial tensions that have been going on so far, um, should pastors speak on political matters or should they just skip, the, skip it? Because there, there's been repercussions for that. Chris Hodges, for example, a pastor in Alabama, had two campuses closed down because someone like compiled a list of tweets that he liked. He didn't even say anything on Sunday morning. And now these people don't have a, have a church home. Like, should they just not say anything or be neutral? How, how should Christian pastors and leaders address this? I think that varies based on the situation. And I know that's a broad answer, but basically it's understanding what is being said and what the response is needed. So some sometimes with political science, no, the pastor doesn't need to say anything. Uh, sometimes it has nothing to do with him or her. And it's just something that just needs to go on. If it's a bigger issue, like the race issue, I believe there needs to be a statement made. Um, but beyond that, it's up to the personal opinion of the pastor. And that has negative repercussions. It can. They can look back on it and try to twist the words. They can try to warp it. But it's all about knowing what God wants in the situation. That's why it's up to the pastor to decide whether it's appropriate for him or her to do it in that moment. Because a single pastor could want to do it in one state, but if he was pastoring in another church, wouldn't do it in another state. So it's based on the situation. Right. Gotcha. So I, I saw something on Facebook that was relating in Luke chapter 15, the lost sheep parable mm. to the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm not trying to get into like the the religious arguments and, or not the, the relate, the racial, excuse me, arguments of the Black Lives Matter movement. How do we as Christians look at parables, should they just be clear-cut or are they open for interpretation? I've personally thought that it was a misinterpretation of the scripture. Uh, parables have to be open to interpretation. That's the point of a parable. If Jesus wanted to be clear-cut, he'd be clear-cut. Jesus could have came back 2,000 years ago, explained to us what antibiotics were, and eventually we would have realized he was telling the truth and we would be, oh no, look at that. It was amazing. But no, he spoke to us in parables because he knew as humans, we need to be taught like children. When you, tell you, when you teach your children something, you don't say, don't do ABC because the DNA in your skin cells can't handle this. You say, don't do that, that hurts. You simplify it. So Jesus was simplifying things. Uh, the parable, 
obviously is not talking about race. Like it's straight up. It was not made for that, Correct. but it can be used for that. It's about, it's about helping the one that's lost and that can be used in anything. If you're in the woods and you're literally looking for someone, you're going to have, you're going to go find that one that's lost. You're going to keep the 99 where you know they are. If it's a situation where you're in war and you have one comrade that's being held capture, we as Americans go for the POW. We go for the one that's lost. We go for the one in war. Right, right. If it's about helping your brother and sister, you help the one that's needing. So right now, the black community is needing. So we help them. Okay. I, I've never thought of it that way. Would you say that there are some parables that are clear cut? Because the prodigal son is quite obvious what he meant there. It's about coming. Which son? The prodigal son or his brother? No, the prodigal. Okay, the prodigal. It's about coming back and Jesus accepting you for who you are. But you can interpret that in different ways. The core is the same, yeah. Just like the core of that parable with the sheep is the same. It's about helping the lost one. But what that means is different. So the core of the prodigal is about the prodigal son coming back. That core is there, but that can mean different things. It can literally mean a Christian coming back to faith. Or it can mean a son or daughter coming back to their parents. Same core, different examples. And there's tons of them in different textbooks of modern day prodigals where uh, the one I always read was the daughter went out, like, let's say lived in the Bible Belt, lived in Tennessee. Uh, the daughter, when she turned 18, flew out to California, uh, lived a secular lifestyle and got really into partying and just do dove into it, did a lot of stuff. About three, four years later, she was tired of it, wanted to come back home, but didn't think she was worthy. So she called her dad and said, Dad, I got the voicemail. She said, Dad, listen, I want to come back home, but I don't know if you'll accept me. I, I, I want to talk to your voicemail specifically. Don't call me back. I'm going to come to Tennessee. I'm going to drive. And if you're willing to take me home, put a yellow ribbon on the oak tree in the front yard. She didn't want to talk to her dad, so she gave a message like that. She drove in. Every tree on that street had a yellow ribbon. The dad wow. literally tied a ribbon on every single tree on the street for, her for his daughter. That's great. I've never, I've never really thought of it that way. Somewhat switching gears, if we as Christians see something on social media that is a clear, true misinterpretation of Scripture, uh, how do we deal with that? Do we respectfully point out that they're wrong, or do we just kind of let them be? Or Depending on the relationship you have with the person, I think it varies a lot on that. Um, I have a lot uh, of friends on my Facebook that I just I would never call out. It's not worth the time, just because they wouldn't hear me. But if it's someone I have that relationship that is close enough that I could, I would do a private message through Facebook or even a text or a call. You would never do it in the comments because right. that becomes an argument. And if you're arguing, you're not helping them at all. If anything, you're hurting the cause. So it's it's approaching them privately in a, in a loving manner. Because if you're doing it out of frustration, out of anger, you're only making the situation worse. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so let's say you do private message somebody and they respond negatively, what do we do then? Mention why you're doing it. Say, listen, I don't want to call you out. This is not about you. I just wanted to say, like, I don't know if this is the best interpretation of scripture. Uh, use scripture to defend yourself and just kind of back off. Because again, if they're not ready to hear it in that moment, they'll remember your words when they are ready to hear it. Right. Is it wrong to just not engage a person if they respond negatively? Would that be harmful? I would do an initial response, like if they respond negatively, do that second response to them saying, hey, I apologize, I wasn't trying to attack you. I was just trying to say ABC. Um, if I offended you, I didn't mean to. Um, after that response, if they respond negatively again, and you don't think it's needed, leave it alone. Yeah, sure. But you need, you need that first response where you defend your actions. 
just to leave a good, uh, this is a weird, a good taste in their mouth. Because if you leave negatively, that's a bad taste. Well, let's take a break right here. We're going to talk about a different topic when we get back. Welcome back to, to the podcast. Um, so, Nick, you were an atheist, correct? Yeah, big one. You've told me before that you've you used to go out of your way to try to argue with Christians. Yeah, I read the Bible a lot in high school to just try to disprove. Okay, so for people like you who were very adamant about disproving Christianity, how do we as Christians respond to that? Honestly, kind of indulge them a little bit. Like, if they want to argue, have a conversation with them. Like, why not? If, if anything, it gets the conversation going, gets the friendship going. That's the way I got to church, is I had two Christian friends that were somewhat close to me. In our senior year, they, well, one of them just invited me to go play basketball, just happened to be at a church. Right. The most common thing is, is that Christians come across as corny. It's almost like we have a playbook. And so if someone is a homosexual, we have this response. If someone's an atheist, we have this response. It's very con- conditioned. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a number of people that personally hate that. And so how do we, is there, is there a, a importance of having vulnerability as a Christian? Oh yeah. That's the only way a non-believer is going to take you seriously. Um, because let me tell you, as an 18 year old atheist, I heard the atheist example hundreds of times. That's as an 18 year old. I can't imagine a 32 year old, how many times they've heard it. So no, they don't care for that playbook. Like they don't care for the common answer. They just want a relationship. Like, if you talk to me like a human, eventually we can talk about religion. But right. if you come at to me with religion, we're never going to have a relationship to talk about anything. Okay, so is it important for a Christian to say something like, well, I haven't struggled with atheism or something like that, but this is a struggle of mine. And just kind of have that that kind of balance sort of being, as some people call it, hot, humble, open, and transparent. It depends on the person. Um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have needed to do that to my self in high school, but I'm sure there are non-believers now that would like the openness. So it just, it's the person you got to see the person, read the person or know what they would need. Gotcha. So now, since you are a Christian now, what, what do we do if we try to reach someone like I'm talking about a large scale type of someone, like a student ordinate organizes an event or something like that to try to reach people. There's a crowd that comes, but then no one responds to it. Mm-hmm. How do, when I say respond, I mean like get, have like a visible reaction. You can physically watch people get saved and stuff like that. And that can be perceived kind of as a form of failure. How do we really deal with that? I think you need to go into those situations, understanding what you're trying to get out of it. If you're going into it, looking for salvation calls and none happens, that specific goal might be seen as a failure, but you may have touched students regardless. Like there may have been a bunch of lukewarm students that got re- got reignited and are no longer lukewarm. They're right. warm again. So it just depends on what you as the leader of that situation and the organizer of that want out of it. So sometimes it's on us as Christians to realize our goals are not God's goals. So we may go in for salvations and just have a bunch of rededications. And we need to realize that. Now, if the event was just bad and it didn't work, that's a different thing. Um, and I think that's just based on talking to the students and just 
trying to get them to be vulnerable to us being like asking like was that a good event did you enjoy it if not why what can we do different and just trying to find those answers because a lot of times the student of events some of the students you already know at least hopefully at least five so if you can ask those five you go was it good was it bad and then those students can tell you how their peers received it and you can base off that gotcha so are you saying is like i've heard some people say say it like this like it's the parable of the seeds some people attribute that of you as a christian and your job is to plant the seed that doesn't mean that it will grow but you did your job as a christian mm-hmm. is that accurate that's that's an example you can use in this and i i live in that a lot um because on media working in media i never see the uh, harvest of the seeds i'm always like i'm more of a waterer mm-hmm. um so you can you can plant the seeds water the seeds harvest the seeds or right. harvest the growth so my position more waters the seeds already planted like i'm giving people media that they can use to encourage their faith, to grow in their Mm -hmm. faith, to develop their faith. So I I don't really pray for people at the altar. I don't really harvest or do anything like that, but I know what I'm doing in my walk with Christ. Right. And not only that, there's been times where you you have spoken into your team members. Mm, I try to. you've You've been that ear to people, and that can be huge. The point that I'm trying to make here for people listening is that you don't necessarily have to see the effects for you to make the difference because... Oh, not at all. all. You can not see a single person get saved, but that doesn't mean that they didn't. And you'll still hear, well done, good and faithful servant when Mm -hmm. you you go in. Absolutely. There was a missionary to Africa. He was one of the first ones. Mm -hmm. And he actually was uh, responsible for finding a lot of the tribes in Africa. Like he was the first white person to find those tribes and put them on the map. Like he explored Africa more than a a ton of missionaries today. That's crazy. It's crazy. Um, But he didn't have a, a single conversion in his entire time like not not one reported conversion his entire time of working as a missionary in africa but he opened up so many doors that missionaries later saved entire tribes like reinhardt bonte who have who's had millions who came and has done it yeah and I'm, i'm frustrated i can't think of his name right now but he didn't see any of his fruits but you know in heaven god was like oh you did everything you needed to do exactly so does does this what you've been saying about how Christians respond to atheism? Does that apply to most secular lifestyles? It does. Um, any anything that you can call a non-believer, whether it be like um, drug issues, homosexuality, alcoholism, um, even just like older people that have like abuse issues with children, like you've got to form that relationship first, because otherwise they're not going to hear you out for the anything. It's it's kind of like that old saying: uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. That's that's so strong with religion, because if you might have a Ph.D. in theology and you might know everything about the Bible, I don't care what you know. Because honestly, I don't care about your religion. Right. So if, you, if I get to know you and then you tell me about your interests and your hobbies, I'm going to be a little more open to it. But if you just come at me, I just think you're looking at me as a charity case. Right. Yeah. It's the playbook that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. So is caring the most important aspect of a belief? Like to a non-believer? Yes. Okay. Um, caring and authenticity. Yeah. Like just showing want to be there for them as a person. Because that's what, that's what everyone wants is friends. We as Christians are called to be salt of the world. So if we can't show to non-believers that we care, why would they listen to us? Okay. So you spoke on building a relationship. I've heard it said that bad company corrupts good character. Yes, that is in the Bible. So most people have that interpretation of, or that belief system, excuse me, of avoid the very appearance of evil. And so if I'm hanging out with someone 
trying to build a relationship with it that who is an atheist, homosexual, etc. Could that be perceived as evil? I don't think just being around them could. Now let's let's back up. Of they're like robbing a store and you're in the getaway car. I yeah, mean, I mean obviously appearance of evil is really strong there. But if you're just uh, well, what's an example here? Because I don't I don't want to say bar because that that can be taken as such. Um, if you're at someone's house and they're gay and they bring over four more gay friends, so you're literally the only straight person there. I don't see that as appearance of evil. I see that as you. Uh, being a light into the world. Um, I guess you just got to kind of read the situation. Um, I would go to like an Applebee's and sit at the bar of an Applebee's mm -hmm. with secular people. But I wouldn't go to something that is only considered a bar. Right. So I guess it's just understanding the situation you're in. Right. Um, but, but many, many Christians would, would associate you just being at a bar, period, as evil. But you're trying to make the make a difference in someone's life. So how do you try to bridge that gap? Know what your own conviction is and just know what the word of God is. Like Jesus ate with tax collectors. He he housed people that would be called sinners in today's times and he just defended everyone. Exactly. So we wouldn't do we wouldn't do things he wouldn't do. So if he does those things, we can too. But it's knowing your own convictions and your own salvations if you struggle with something if you struggle with alcohol and you want to go minister to an alcoholic don't go to the bar with that alcoholic you're putting yourself in danger so basically just to summarize what you've been saying is that we just need to be authentic feel out the situation and just not be afraid to be vulnerable oh not at all no if, if you can be vulnerable to someone they're going to trust you and vulnerability is what got me in church because my friends my senior year were honest and truthful with me did i agree with everything they said no absolutely not they were they were christian i wasn't there was tons of things we didn't agree on but we were real to each other and we could accept each other right and if i remember correctly um didn't you say that when you continued to go to the church that you constantly were like raising your hand in the middle of the like the teaching to try to like argue with the with the leader oh all the time uh, my my youth leader back then was a saint um she just put up so much with me and she would be teaching and I'd raise my hand and try to contradict her and she would peacefully explain it to me what she was saying and I wouldn't always agree but I could at least understand where she was coming from and six months of that is what led me to be even able to open the, my heart so you do you fully acknowledge her as the force that helped lead you to try I mean I know the Bible says that only Christ can bring people mm. but she was instrumental and letting you be open to Christ, correct? Extremely. Yeah, she was she was a tool of God that he used to get me there. Like her, my two friends, and the senior pastor. Like those four, like hands down, are the majority reason. Obviously God, yes. No one can accept God without God. Right. But those were the tools God used to get me there with those, those four people. Correct. And so so you say that she did it through, through like caring and patience. Uh, through love just she loved me she saw what god wanted for me and she just had patience with me okay so what if she had the different response of stop interrupting me be quiet like i don't think i would have went back interesting i don't think i'd be in church right now because if i didn't go to church in high school I definitely wouldn't have gone to church in college so basically it's just she was calm and so my question now is i've heard people say i love you too much not to tell you the truth then they'll say something incredibly blunt and is that a risk that we as a church need to take 
of potentially just for lack of a better term making someone mad and just having them leave the or is it is the risk of them leaving the church worth the blunt statement it it depends on the relationship again my youth leader did say something like that to me was she she would talk to me like i would go to her house uh, on like friday nights and mm. Her son was my age, so it wasn't just me going to a youth leader's house for no reason. Right. Like, we'd go to hang out. We'd have dinner like a family, and we would talk about theology. And she would tell me all the time, like, listen, you can't do ABC because it leads to hell. And, like, I need to tell you this. You need to hear me. And I heard her. I didn't believe her. But she did it in a way that I wasn't offended. Right. So if you go at someone just in a way that's going to offend them, you might want to back off and see why you're saying it. But if you go at someone in pure love, you're going to say it in a way they can hear you. They might not agree with you, but they're at least going to hear you. Right. And so what I'm saying is I'm talking about in like a sermon setting. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard people be like really blunt and they're just kind of passionate, which means louder volume and they're preaching and stuff like that. I've even heard a pastor say one time they're just like, they said something along the lines of you need to either be of God or not of God. You need to pick a side and stop riding the fence. You're making us look bad. And he said that kind of like intensely. And I remember it was like my third or fourth time going to this youth group. And I was, kind of just like, well, Oh, okay. Then like, wow. wow that, that's that. And he said all the time, like, uh, I love you too much to tell you the truth. And he would say stuff like that and say stuff that are like really, really strong that runs the race of people being like, well, this guy's judgmental. And like, I can do whatever I want. You ain't going to tell me. And like they leave. Is that a ri- is that the risk that needs to be taken? With pastors in a sermon setting, you're you're preaching to the room versus to the individual. So in those situations, yes, I think the risk is worth it mm-hmm. because you are talking to 80% of the room. That 20% might not hear you. They might not even care. If, if I as an atheist was in that situation, I would go, he's not talking to me. True. I would just let it roll right over. Right, but I also believe that it's needed because there are some Christians like me, to, to be completely transparent, that like you have to kind of just like get in my face, slap me around a little bit to get me going the right way. I'm not trying to say that I'm like like on a, like a wrong path or anything. It's just like to really prove your point, you have to be like, Daniel, you're being an idiot. Like, No, no, that's fair. And every pastor is different. Like some students, if we're going to go back to the youth scenario, mm-hmm. some students are going to be more acceptable to this youth pastor and others are going to like this one better. And that's okay. Like, you might go to a church that you love and you don't like the preaching style. That's okay. Right. As long as you know God is in your heart and you're doing the right thing, you don't have to love, you don't have to like everyone's preaching style. Like, you can find a, you can find a different pastor that preach or preaches the way you like. Now, if you're just going because he says all the good things and doesn't ever convict you, that's a different problem. Right. I've, I've, I've been there and done that at different churches and, that's not a good thing that that is a problem because that's when you have people living alternate lifestyles literally amening the pastor and we're mm-hmm. just like what because yeah, the pastor's not calling anyone out exactly and so there's definitely a fine line that needs to be walked and we i feel like i've seen that in my lifetime and so is there and this is the final thing is there too harsh in a past, pastor statement uh, absolutely. Anything can be taken either direction. It can be too soft or too harsh. Um, mm-hmm. Of the pastor is just screaming at people out of his own convictions and not listening to God's call on his heart. I think that's too much. Um, I th- honestly, it goes down to that one Bible verse, in my opinion. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth flows. If your heart is full of love and full of God, you will say 
things that are of love and of acceptance and peace and patience. But that can still be stern, right? It can be stern. Absolutely. Um, it's like a football coach. They're oh, going to yeah. yell in your face, but they're doing it out of, I want you to be better. So you can be stern, but if you don't do it out of love. Now, love comes in many ways. There's tough love. There's harsh love. There's stern love. There's patient love, acceptance love. But it has to be love at the core. And right. that's based on you as a person. Like, your love is different than my love. Right. I'm a very soft-spoken person. I can get in your face. I will rarely do it. Um, I'm more patient and just waiting on you to get there just because that's how I got saved. I know that path. Um, other pastors are going to scream in your face and tell you what the right, right thing to do is. Right, and I'm, I'm a little more blunt that way. I'm more of like, a, like, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to handle it. This is what needs to happen. Yeah, so the way you say it is different person to person as long as love is that core. Gotcha. So that wraps up our time together. Thank you, Nate, for your time. Thank you for having me. And those were some good answers, and we could possibly see you again on the show. Okay, look forward to it.